TYB On The Run with your host, Katie Halday. This is your daily Bible blast, the perfect fit for your busy life. Just one chapter, one revelation. This will change your life. Hi guys, welcome to TYB On The Run and welcome to Exodus. The reason that I'm doing these quick Bible blasts in these books of the Old Testament is because I'm teaching them each week. So thought while I'm teaching it, I might as well get this done. So I'm so excited to be Bible blasting my way through Exodus with you. Let's have a look, Exodus 1. The Israelites oppressed. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. Issachar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifrath and Puah, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Chapter two, we're going to do two chapters. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the, the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became, became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, 
why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flocks. When the girls returned to Rael, their father, he asked them, why do you return so early today? They answered. An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He drew, even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Reuel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zephorah to Moses in marriage. Zephorah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Oh, I can't wait to study this TYV on the run. I am just so enjoying doing these sessions with you. I hope you're enjoying them as much as I am because I just love these Bible moments. Sometimes what we do is we we think, oh, I'm not going to read Exodus because, you know, I've watched the Prince of Egypt movie or the new, not new now, but the Christian Bible one, Exodus Kings and um. Gods, which is quite an incredible movie of this um, of Exodus. And it really shows, maybe you think, oh, I've, I've watched the movie, I don't need to. But when you read it again, the Bible just comes alive. And I am, this is why I'm doing these Bible blasts. I love the fact that from the beginning in Exodus, you can feel that it's a continuation of Genesis. Why? Because Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are the Torah. They are the accounts of the the nation of Israel. From the very beginning of creation, we walk through Genesis. um, First, you know, chapters 1 to 11 are 2,000 years of creation history. And then we have 200 years of where did the people of Israel come from? And that is Genesis. We then find ourselves in Exodus. And our last bit of Genesis is that um, Jacob and Joseph and all the 12 brothers, Joseph went to Israel early, we know in Genesis, um, got imprisoned, got absolutely respected in Pharaoh, Pharaoh's palace and became almost like the prime minister of Egypt. And we then finished with the death of Jacob and the death of Joseph in Genesis. Now, I'm going to jump back to Genesis 15, 13, because there is nothing new or that that, um, that God is not shocked about. There's nothing that God's not shocked about, because when we read Genesis 15, 13, we know the promise of Abraham was that he would multiply, he would increase, that, that his, he would, you know, have um, nations out from underneath him. And then in 1513, I love, oh my gosh, I love linking the Bible together, guys. It says this, as the sun was setting 12, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. This is the covenant with Abraham and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. That Genesis 15, 13 covenant agreement is basically the Torah. <laughs> is basically, did you, did you hear? The 400 years that your descendants will be strangers in their land. And I know from the Genesis 50, from the time that Joseph dies, 
Uh, we have 400 years in, in this Exodus account. We have 400 years of his, history where they're put into slavery, where we go from, you know, 70 people to a multitude of uh, in slavery. We go from just a family to a nation. And this is so incredible when you learn about and he says you're going to be oppressed. It's not it's not a shock to God this Genesis this Exodus account. He says you're going to be oppressed, but he also says this he says you're going to come out. Oh, I'm going to read it again because I just love how God prophesies these things and you can imagine them thinking back and thinking hang on what was the promise because Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, what was the covenant promise? Going back here and saying um you will be strangers in a country not your own, and they will ins- will be enslaved and ill-treated. This is where we are in Exodus. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. So you, what they were supposed to do in this Exodus account, and we are going to learn that they didn't do that because they whinged and complained. But in this Exodus account, they're supposed to hold on to the promise of God that has already t- prophesied that this is about to happen. So are you with me? It says now in um, one six. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. So we've got four hundred years between the seventy arriving in Egypt with under Joseph, and they all died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers. Can you hear the same language of the Abraham covenant? And became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Again, the promise of God is not stopped. <laughs> Nothing can stop the promise of God. And already this prophecy is coming to pass. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. So we know that this family that was so honored in Joseph's days, this family that was honored under Pharaoh, taken in, into Pharaoh's um, land because of protection and the famine, is now in slavery because the new Pharaoh doesn't know about Joseph, doesn't know about how he saved Egypt. And it says, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous. And rather than being protected, they are now a threat. And we see in this story a couple of things I want to highlight here. In um, He says, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, which is what God said was going to happen in the very beginning anyway. They built Pithom and Ramesses. These two Pithom and Ramesses, these cities, how we kind of get this debate about when Exodus actually happened because the date of Exodus is a really hard date to pick. And most of your um, commentaries will say, look, we don't know. Um, And most of the commentaries throughout the Old Testament will say, according to the date of Exodus, it could be this or it could be this because really we don't know at what point this date is. So don't, don't fuss about that. But sometimes with these hints of they built Pithom and Ramesses. You're going to hear articles say, oh, well, Pithom was built this time and Ramesses was built this time. Really, this account is factual and true. And according to, you know, Israelite history, they're not doubting that this is factual or true. They, they don't date it because they know it's fact. Unfortunately, we want dates, figures, facts to, to, to say, no, that is true. But they're not dating it to say that it's happened because they, they're telling the truth. They know it's happened. So maybe we just have to take that beautiful essence of they're telling it so it's true. And so it goes on. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread because the promise of God cannot be um, stopped. <laughs> so the Egyptians came to the to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. Um, they made their lives bitter. So what he's doing in this story, Moses is really saying, look, I'm, I'm giving you a recap and I'm getting you to the point where you understand why God had to do what he did to the Pharaoh. Because if God did what he did to Pharaoh under Joseph, it would seem quite unfair But we're getting this to the point, catching you up in the story to say at this point, 
they were actually severely oppressed. And you feel this sense of God needs to do something big to get them out of here. Because again, Egypt was a mega superpower at this time. It's not like they're under the 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 um, tyranny or the slavery of somebody that they could have. They are a multitude, a nation, and they still can't overrun Egypt. Because when you watch the movies like Exodus, the one with Christian Bale in it, you can see that they are in a state, they're building storehouses, store cities. Um, I mean, they are a massive superpower at this time. And you've got this nation that is trying to be a nation oppressed underneath it and God's got to get them out. So we then have this story of the Hebrew midwives, and it's really a story to show the oppression of the the Egyptians. And again, going forward, this is why God says, look, I'm going to take your kids as well. It's not a tit for tat. It's not a how vengeful is your God, but it's really setting you up to say God had to do something big. God had to shift Pharaoh because Pharaoh was so hard against the Israelites to the point where he's killing their sons, which is just a really heartbreaking story. But in this beautiful Israelite account, we have this story of the birth of Moses. And I kind of love this beautiful story where God saves. It's like a remnant. You know, going forward, and there's always a remnant. There's always, even in the midst of chaos, there is always God's beautiful remnant that he saves. And we have this chapter two now. I love this moment of chapter two. We've got this horrible midwives, you know, having to say that they're, they're, the, the uh, Hebrew women are too good at birth because we're not killing everybody. And in the children, then he says, now a man of the tribe of Levi. It's this beautiful breath. Did you feel it? Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. This is the worship tribe, remember. Okay, so Levi is one of the 12 tribes that we've seen in the, in the beginning. And this is the worshippers. And she became pregnant, gave birth to a son. So in the middle of this chaos, and we can feel this forward with Herod killing the the children, trying to get to Jesus. But in the middle of that chaos, Jesus came through. And you feel it here in the middle of the chaos, Moses. But when she saw that um, he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. She hid this baby. and But then she could no longer hide him. She, get, she got a papyrus basket. Imagine that. Imagine hiding a son because everybody else's sons died. What a heartbreaking moment. And she got a papyrus basket. Now, we know just quick history geek moment. Papyrus was very... Um, very prominent in Egypt. And actually, papyrus is what the New Testament was written on later on, which is quite amazing. So papyrus was very prominent. It was a reed that was later on made into a writing material. And she hid him in this papyrus basket, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds in the bank of the Nile. Oh, my gosh. If you could do a study of the Nile, the Nile for the Egyptians was the source of life. (laughs) The Nile for the Egyptians was their water, their, their their life source. They built all their cities around the Nile because it was their life source. And all of a sudden, this Israelite story comes forth and out of the Nile comes their life source. Can you feel it? If you were an Israelite, or Hebrew, sorry, at this time reading this story, you would be like, yeah. Because out of their life source came Moses, the remnant, the child that was saved, just like pointing forward to Christ. Can you feel it? His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. Pharaoh's daughter went, just surprise, surprise, down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along with the riverbank. She saw the basket along among the reeds, sent her female slave to get it, opened it, 
and saw Moses crying. And this is just so the Hebrew babies. Why? This is amazing. This is one of the Hebrew babies. She knew of the covenant. She knew of the agreement that her father had made to kill all the Hebrew babies. She knew that by taking this child, she was going to get into trouble. Why? Because her father, Pharaoh, had had made this decision to kill all the Hebrew babies because they were too blessed. The covenant agreement was doing what it was supposed to do. And can I say, guys, your covenant promises will outdo the enemy. Your covenant promises will not be able to be stopped by the enemy. And this is what Exodus is telling us. This story is telling us that even if the enemy comes in like a flood, even if the enemy comes in and says, I'm going to annihilate everything around you, your covenant promises of God will remain. Can you feel this? And I'm getting way too excited about this. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking this beautiful moment. Then her, um, his sister, Moses' sister comes up and says, this is Miriam, and says, shall I go and get the one, um, the Hebrew nurse's, and goes and gets the mum, this beautiful, imagine the mum, imagine this. Oh, God is so beautiful and so good in this story. Imagine the Moses' mum putting the baby on there saying, look, I'm just going to trust God. And then all of a sudden her daughter runs back to her and says, mum, the daughter of Pharaoh picked Moses up. And so she goes, the girl went and got the baby's mother, Pharaoh's daughter, and said to her, take the baby for me and I'll pay you. So not only the trust of Pharaoh, of Moses' mum to put that baby on that Nile. I mean, the Nile was a very, it wasn't just a calm river. <laughs> it was full of, you know, Prince of Egypt. Have you seen that um, cartoon, Disney cartoon? And there's, there's crocodiles and Moses and God is protecting this child. And then imagine this moment of Miriam running back, the Pharaoh, the, sorry, Hebrew, um, Moses' sister running back and saying, Mom, God's done a miracle. And and not only that, but Pharaoh says, Pharaoh's daughter says, I'm going to pay for you. Uh, you uh, you're a slave and I'm going to pay for you. How good is the provision of God? So take this baby, nurse him for me and I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby, nursed him. Again, she took him, when the child grew older, she took him back to Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses, this moment of Moses's life is so significant. Why? He is now becoming not just taken care of from a Hebrew perspective because we know he's taken care of from a Hebrew. So the mum is telling him all the Hebrew history, but he's also being educated in Egypt. Pharaoh, he's being educated in, just like Joseph, he's being educated in Pharaoh's courts. He's being educated as an Egyptian. This perfect mix of the two for the call of God. It's like Saul later on, educated as a Pharisee and then, you know, a debater and a lawyer, but the gospel message for the gospel message. Same thing here. God's providence over Moses to educate him as a Hebrew as well as as an Egyptian for the coming call of God on his life. So Moses flees to Midian. He has, again, we see this story where he's so passionate for, he's torn between the two cultures. He's passionate for his Hebrew people, which are in slavery, but he's caught in the mix of this Egyptian culture as well. And we know this moment where he flees Egypt and he goes to the house of um, a real and marries and gets to marry Zephora, this beautiful woman. I love this moment. During that long period in 223 at the end, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites um, groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. Why? Because God 
had already got a plan in place. God had already got a plan and Moses was already born, educated, grown up. Time and time again, we think that God isn't listening to us, but he's been listening to us from the beginning and he's already got a plan, a Moses in place. He's already got a savior in place. (laughs) I love this. They're, They're crying out to God saying, God, give us a savior. And God's plan of a savior happened, what, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago at this point. I love this. Um, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham. God is a God of covenant. He's a God of of, um, his word. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And this is this beautiful moment where Moses is about to have his burning bush moment. But can you feel the provision of God over this? Just the beginning of Exodus, the provision of a remnant that even in the midst of this, we have this beautiful Hebrew woman that trusted God to put that basket on there and trusted God to to work out Moses' life and God blesses her by returning him to her to take care. Moses, this remnant promise of a saviour coming that is on this Nile River, the source of life according to the Egyptians, and then just so happens to be found, just so happens, there's so many just so happens moments in your life. (music) 